Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Antoinette Latouf, joined by the wonderful Natasha Belling. Tash, have you recovered from Saturday night yet? Have any of us recovered, <laughs> Antoinette? What an extraordinary, mm. extraordinary result. Great to be with you again today. As you mentioned, Saturday was an extraordinary night of election wins. And while some people saw a till wave sweep many parts of our country, there was also another coloured wave on the horizon, green. The Greens are expected to nab up to four seats in the lower house, three of them in of all places. Can you believe this? The Sunshine State turning Queensland into Greensland. You know what? I just love this because Queenslanders are now looking at Victorians who expect it to be the more soy decaf (laughs) turmeric latte types and they're wondering why they're still drinking instant coffee. Queenslanders, like, please continue to surprise us. On today's episode of The Briefing, Jan and Annika are chatting with Greens leader Adam Band about how they pulled off this election victory, but also what it means not only for the party moving forward, but also Aussie politics. Part of our mantra, I guess, is that politics has become too much of a monologue and we want to turn politics back into a dialogue and really engage people. Mm, And Adam says he looks forward to seeing our new parliament full of fresh faces. It's going to make an interesting change for when we sit next to Bob Catter. That's coming up in a bit, but first, here are the headlines. It's Friday, May 27. Antoinette, thank you. And we start with big news in the entertainment world this morning. Kevin Spacey has been charged with sex offences in the UK. The Oscar-winning actor has been charged with four counts of sexual assault against three men. In November 2017, London's Old Vic Theatre said it had received 20 separate allegations of inappropriate conduct by Spacey from 20 men and Spacey was artistic director of the theatre from 2003 to 2015. In a statement, London's authorities say the charges follow a review of evidence gathered by the Metropolitan Police in its investigation. Now, the 62-year-old who won Oscars for Best Actor in American Beauty and Best Supporting Actor in The Usual Suspects has previously denied all accusations of misconduct. Yeah, so if you're wondering, oh, I thought there were allegations before, you're not wrong. Uh, Spacey was actually in court in New York yesterday fighting a different matter. And that was a civil suit against a man who accused him of assault in the 1980s. Now, Spacey denies the claims. And still on show business, Ray Liotta has died. The star of Goodfellas was just 67. He died in his sleep while shooting a film in the Dominican Republic. And Foreign Minister Penny Wong has launched a campaign to win back the trust of Pacific nations. Speaking at the Pacific Island Forum in Fiji yesterday, Ms Wong says Australia will work with Pacific nations to combat climate change and warn security and trade deals with China could sacrifice their independence. Australia will be a partner that doesn't come with strings attached nor imposing unsustainable financial burdens. We're a partner that won't erode Pacific priorities or Pacific institutions. We believe in transparency. Earlier this week, Wong said Australia had lost a decade of engagement in the region under the previous government. She told Pacific Island leaders Australia will make climate change a priority. So I assure you, we have heard. As our election last weekend showed, Australians understand the imperative of acting on climate change. 
The climate crisis loomed as one of the key concerns to the Australian people. It comes as China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi this week began a whirlwind tour of 10 countries in the Pacific to talk about security deals like the one it signed with the Solomon Islands. Wang landed in Solomon Islands yesterday for the first time since the security deal with Honiara was signed. Again, that Solomon's deal, Tash, was a big talking point in the election. Um, it was seen a bit of, as a bit of a blunder by the Morrison government because they didn't actually send the foreign minister and it was seen as though it was something that it wasn't you know, taking seriously enough. And weren't there allegations that also came out before the election that mm. the foreign minister had highlighted to the federal government about the importance of the Solomon Islands and the ongoing security issues with China's influence mm-hmm. and didn't seem to get any type of answer mm. or support on the urgency of this matter? And first and foremost, it just brings up the whole security issue, which is just north of Australia. And you don't have to go far back in history, especially World War II to understand the importance Mm. of security in that region, but also climate change. Like, it's obvious that that is a big issue, not just for the world, but also these specific Solomon Islands and smaller nations and countries. Who are really feeling the the impact impact enormously. So while super XC petrol prices have been solved, well, for at least a few more months, get ready for soaring power prices. The Australian Energy Regulator, well, that's the government body that oversees electricity prices, approved price rises of up to 18% from July. The biggest driver across the board is wholesale costs. There are pressures on on prices at the moment, driven mainly by uh, coal and gas prices. That's Justin Oliver there from the Australian Energy Regulator talking with the ABC. Now, the regulator says wholesale electricity prices at least doubled in most states in the first quarter of 2022 and quadrupled in Queensland amid high demand and fuel prices, while the conflict in Ukraine saw gas markets also hit a record. And Antoinette, we know the newly installed Labor government had Jim Chalmers has already foreshadowed that they will not continue the fuel excise, uh, the discount there later this year. The rising cost of living, you would have noticed it. Everything has gone through the roof. I was out and about at a supermarket, a local fruit shop, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but I'm kind of doing the broccoli test at the moment. Oh, I'm doing that with the Lebanese cucumbers. It's, and it's <laughs> the broccoli is now up to $12 a kilo, and I yeah. go to our local little um, green grocer who I support, and I spoke with him, and he said, I've never seen prices like it. Mm. He went out to the fresh fruit market he, and he then said a lot of the people are saying, get ready, the prices are going to go up even further. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be a big challenge for Anthony Albanese, who's promised to minimise the cost of living, but he's up against it with inflation, interest rates. Um, we know that the fuel excise is going to be dropped, um, now power prices. But independent experts, Tash, have also said that, yes, the regulator's decision that means that some providers are going to be more exposed than others, but some of the bigger uh, retailers like AGL and Origin are generally better able to manage um, wholesale prices, so it's probably a good time to shop around for a better deal. Absolutely. America continues to mourn the 19 children and two teachers who were killed in that horrifying mass shooting in the US earlier this week. To make things worse, the National Rifle Association is preparing to hold its annual conference in exactly the same state just days after the massacre. You couldn't make this up. Like no. it almost it, it almost seems so outrageous, like it's some black comedy that it can't be true. And every time this happens, Australians just can't 
Tasha, I just can't get the head mm. around the obsession with the Second Amendment um, and the fact that you can buy a gun at Kmart. So 18-year-old Salvador Ramos walked into a primary school in Uvalde, Texas on Wednesday. He shot 19 children. They were aged between 7 and 10 and also two teachers. And this this both breaks my heart but angers me so much because these beautiful kids died in a state, Tash, where chances are their parents, who are Texans, vote mm. in favour of these gun laws. And you would be the same as me. The first thing I was thinking about when this story was breaking is as a parent, you send off your precious or a carer, you send off your precious little primary school child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and keep in mind these children are aged between 5 and 11 to go to learn in a classroom Mm -hmm. and you don't get to see them that day and you don't get to put them to bed at night. And how many, I think there's been 212 mass shootings in the States just this year alone. Yeah, and and 27 in schools. And those poor teachers. And then the immediate statement from the NRA, like I I thought there might have been a movement for change because we've really seen even that extraordinary speech from that NBA coach, which he just said enough is enough. We have to do something. Stop with the prayers and, you know, condolences and minute silence. Mm, mm. I thought there might have been a wave of change and some instrumental change. And then you get that statement from the NRA saying, well, you know, we need better school security. You know, straight away back to that same narrative. Well, the NRA conference begins in Houston, Texas later today and former President Donald Trump is set to headline the event. And German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says Russia will not win the war in Ukraine. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos overnight, Scholz said Russian President Vladimir Putin has already failed in all his strategic aims. We cannot allow Putin to win his war, and I firmly believe that he will not win it. Scholz, who has faced criticism for an initial hesitancy to send weapons to Ukraine, says Putin underestimated the Ukraine people. Russia capturing all of Ukraine seems less likely now than it did at the start of the war, thanks not least to the remarkable defensive actions fought by the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian population. The war entered its fourth month this week and Russian troops made fresh attempts to seize territory in eastern Ukraine. Okay, thanks, Tash. And we can hear you daily on Morning Agenda and Australia Today with Steve Price. Coming up, Jan and Annika talk to Greens leader Adam Bant. Well, if the story at the last federal election was about that wave of blue sweeping across Queensland, then this year, this election, it's all about the Greens. Yep. When I think of the state of Queensland, Annika, I have to say I don't immediately think the Green state. And yet, as the dust settles on Saturday's election results, the Green state, the Sunshine state, the state of Queensland may have very well delivered the Greens, its biggest election win ever. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Max Chandler Mather won the seat of Griffith in South Brisbane with a swing to the Greens of 11%. Now, he won that from Labor, while Elizabeth Watson-Brown won the seat of Ryan in Brisbane's West from the Liberals, also with a big swing in her favour of more than 10%. And at the time of recording this, the inner city seat of Brisbane, which is also held by a Liberal up until this election, looks to go green. So three seats in Brisbane, all taken from the two major parties. That is extraordinary. I mean, we expected 
the seat of Melbourne to be retained by Adam Bant, and it was. So now you have potentially four Greens held seats in the lower house, which is the largest amount of seats they've held in the House of Representatives ever. Huge. So how did the Greens do it? How did they keep it so quiet when all the attention was on the teals? And what does the party plan to do with its newfound power? Great questions, and we're going to put them to Adam Bant, who is here with us. He is the leader of the Greens. Adam, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Have you recovered from your hangover after Saturday night yet? I didn't have much time to sort of indulge with everyone else on Saturday night. It was a pretty good night, pretty busy night. Um, we were up the next morning to head off to Brisbane and meet the new MPs in the green. So, yeah, still waiting on the count in one last seat in Queensland and uh, another one here in Melbourne as well. But um, so far, so good. But, yeah, feet haven't really touched the ground. Adam, you've been the only Greens MP in the lower house. Sometimes you look a little lonely there, even though you've got some crossbench mates. Are you happy to have some friends to sit with? Yeah, it's going to make an interesting change from when we sit next to Bob Catter. Uh, so <laughs> it's we are looking forward to strong representation and having a bit closer representation in the House of Representatives that reflects the, um, the increasing support that we're getting across the country. I mean, 12% of the vote at this election, which is our record high, and now we're going to have at least three seats in the House of Representatives and possibly more. Adam, the Greens felt like they were the, well, one of the biggest surprises of the election. I think a lot of people were talking about the teals and predicting that there might be a bit of a teal wave, although we weren't sure how big it was. A lot of folks, and I will say, you know, they are pundits and commentators, so, you know, I don't know how much we can trust them, were a little bit surprised about the victory. Were you surprised? We were pretty clear about what we wanted to do and we made um, that clear to the world a while ago. Uh, We said these are the seats that we're going to be campaigning in and we released our list and said we were aiming for balance of power in the Senate with an additional three senators plus we had a short list of seats that we were focused our campaigning on and we told people what we were doing and we were clear about campaigning on climate but also on uh, economic inequality with a clear position about how we were going to tackle that by making billionaires and big corporations pay their fair share of tax to do things like get dental into Medicare. We really sort of laid our strategy out in the open. We were, I guess, hiding in plain sight, really, and putting it out in the open and making it very clear that this is what we were campaigning on and where we were campaigning. I feel a little guilty here. I think you even gave that list to me at the age. (laughs) And I didn't predict you'd go this well. Look, Griffith was always looking a little bit uh, shaky for Labor, but you've got two others against Liberals in Queensland and also have come really close in McNamara in Melbourne in a three-way contest there. Based on the geographic, you know, locations of these places, Melbourne has always been seen as the socialist capital of Australia and Queensland less so. But that's where you're going to have most of your base now. Why Queensland? Is it based on the natural disasters they've had, do you think? Or is there just a shifting demographic happening in Brisbane? In Queensland, I think there's always been this sense that politics as usual isn't working for people. But there's always been, I think, a misunderstanding, a misapprehension that if you have that view, then you must be inherently conservative. And it's not an inherently conservative view to think that politics as usual isn't working for everyday people. It's actually quite an accurate view. And we had a very clear approach, which was that we would offer 
a progressive alternative to politics as usual that said, yes, it is right that at the moment uh, politics is working in the interests of big corporations and billionaires and you know, delivering Clive Palmer a $9,000 a year tax cut while people in this country live in poverty and can't afford to get their teeth fixed. There was a real grassroots campaign in seats like Griffith. Um, when the floods hit, they suspended the campaign to go and help people and they were delivering um, food packages to people as well who were uh, in lockdown in COVID. We not only said politics could be done differently, we were doing it differently. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on that local campaigning because that's when I first started to hear rumour out of Griffith specifically that, you know, your local candidate there was almost acting as the local member, going house by house, doing lots of door knocking. And that's been a real theme with the Teals too. So the first part of the question is how important is that that politics getting back to local helped uh, as opposed to big policies, national policies, really focusing on the local. I think there was also uh, issues with airport noise down there. And the second part of that is the national side of that. I know you used the Nats and Barnaby Joyce quite negatively in your campaigning. How effective was that in terms of delivering this result? We realised quite some time ago that we don't get the corporate donations that Labor and Liberal get. We were never going to have the kind of money that they had to run those big, uh, I guess, campaigns on the on the airwaves. And, but what we did have was people power. And we made a decision a while ago that was really, I guess, exemplified in the Queensland campaign of turning our supporters and volunteers into advocates and really empowering people who turned up to get involved in, in our campaigns. Part of our mantra, I guess, is that politics has become too much of a monologue and we want to turn politics back into a dialogue and really engage people. And that means taking local issues seriously. And in many instances, people have been taken for granted. I mean, flight noise, for example. Um, you had the Liberal and Labor both saying they would do whatever the, um, the Brisbane Airport Corporation wanted. We're not beholden to those big corporations so we can fight for the community. As far as the uh, nationals are concerned, coal and gas are the biggest causes of the climate crisis. We're going to an election where we've just had three years of droughts and fires and floods. People understand that the climate crisis is real. But it wasn't just the Nats. It was Liberal and Labor both wanting to open up 114 new coal and gas projects. And we told people about that in the seats in Brisbane, but also right across the country, that we're in the middle of a climate crisis and the others want to pour petrol on the fire and we're the only ones saying we don't. Again, we don't take donations from those coal and gas corporations. So it wasn't just the Nationals. It was also that Nationals, Liberal, Labor were all seen from the same song sheet when it came to new coal and gas. Adam, you won the seat of Melbourne in 2010. You've held on to it for the last 12 years you know, you had a, a swing in your favour, you got a big primary vote there. Do you reckon that once these seats are lost by the major parties, they are gone for good? One of the things that has been our experience is that when people get a Greens representative at the local level, it's, whether that's state or federal, they give us a go, but they see then how hard we work for the community, how much we do put the community first. Some of the things that I think you're seeing and that you referenced that are now happening across the board with some other independents. And the experience has been that once people get a Greens in, they like it. But I think that's on the basis that we continue to work hard and ensure that we service and look after the needs of the local community and take up the fight on their behalf. 
Now, you've picked up a number of those seats, those target seats on your list, but where you haven't done well this election anyway is in inner Sydney. Now, you've targeted those seats before, seats held by people like Anthony Albanese and Tanya Plibersek. How likely are you to take those at the next election? And will you continue to campaign just as hard in those places, given Anthony Albanese is our Prime Minister? Look, I think we'll have to make an assessment that closer to the time. I mean, we were realistic this election when we said here's the seats that we're going to campaign in. It didn't include those inner city seats. We were pretty realistic about the strength of the local members in those seats and the profile that they were going to have, especially as we headed into a change of government election. But those seats are important for the Greens. A lot of people vote for the Greens in the Senate in those seats. And we've, of course, got state members in Parliament in Sydney, in the inner city Sydney area, in seats that are including those. So the areas that we're going to continue to campaign strongly in, whether there'll be seats that we think we're in with a um, chance of winning, look, we'll look at it in a pretty clear-eyed way, um, again, closer to the election, just like we did last time. Adam, if Labor doesn't get a majority, it's it's inching towards one. If it doesn't get one, though, it may need your help to pass bills. What's your wish list? What are you going to demand? Do it. Demand some stuff. What are you going to demand? We need climate action in this parliament, and that starts with not opening new coal and gas mines. We think we can have a discussion, productive discussion, during the course of the next three years about what targets Australia should have, how we support workers during the transition, how we grow new export industries and grow renewables. There's a lot of potential overlap between us and the government on that point. But everyone should be able to agree that while we're trying to put the fire out, we shouldn't be throwing petrol on it. And that means not opening up new coal and gas projects. And look, the rest of the world agrees with this. US um, President Joe Biden is trying to get the world to sign up to a pledge to cut methane usage. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson was at the last climate summit saying this has to be the time we start getting out of coal. And I think the government is going to come under increasing pressure from the rest of the world to stop opening up coal and gas mines. That is going to be a big, big issue for us and we're hopeful that we can sit down with the government and have a a really productive relationship. There's a lot that we could get done during this parliament. We could make some real progress on First Nations justice, for example. We could uh, take some steps to address the inequality crisis. But it's going to be very difficult to do that if Labor keeps opening new coal and gas mines. So that's the top of our agenda. That was Greens leader and the federal member for the seat of Melbourne, Adam Bant there. Yeah, and we didn't get to talk about it with him, but they also did pretty well in the Senate. And while Labor's edging towards its majority in its own right in the lower house. It might be the Senate where the Greens actually have their most power in the next parliament. Listener.